This is episode 79 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of Charlie Miller, sleight of hand master. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 79. Really quick, if you aren't aware of it, there is a movie documentary that was just released online. I don't know how long it's going to remain up, but it's all about S.W. Erdnays and the expert at the card table. The movie is called... Oddly enough, the expert at the card table. The website is located at erdnays-movie.com. And it's really more of a documentary covering the various theories as to who was Erdnays. And there's no shortage of suspects. At least four of them are covered, and the pros and cons are given for each individual. I don't think we'll ever really know who Erdnays was, but the documentary is quite enjoyable. And I actually think... This subject would make a wonderful movie, and I mean a feature-length movie, not half-movie, half-documentary. It's a really compelling story, the concept of a mysterious man who has all this incredible knowledge of gambling techniques, as well as magic techniques, is really remarkable. And then he writes a book exposing all of the methods, and then frankly vanishes from history. No one knows who he is. Not even the book's illustrator has it figured out. Anyway... Go check it out at erdnays-movie.com. Now, my subject today has not really received the recognition that he deserves in the magic press and within magic literature. For example, one of my go-to sources on magicians is the David Price book, Magic, A Pictorial History of Conjurers in the Theater. And it doesn't even have a listing for Charlie Miller. And you might say, well, he was a sleight-of-hand guy. Yes, he was, but he was also a popular stage magician as well. Charlie often gets mentioned along with Di Vernon as they were friends and many and had many adventures together. And another name that crops up with Charlie is Fawcett Ross. And I think in modern terms, you've got names like Ricky Jay and Johnny Thompson and John Carney are names that I can think of that are associated with Charlie. Also Harry Reiser, Jay Marshall, Bob White. So... Who was Charlie Miller? Well, let's explore that now. He was born Charles Earl Miller on May 25, 1909 in Indianapolis, Indiana. He was born into an upper-middle-class home. Charlie was very well-educated, having been taught by a private tutor. He could speak several languages. In his teens... He developed asthma and suffered with this throughout his life. His interest in magic began at age five when his older brother Paul showed him several magic tricks. Young Charlie was enamored with magic. And that mysterious bug that bites one person but lets the next one go bit Charlie hard, and he was in love with magic. His first book on magic was called Conjuring Tricks with Coins, Watches, and Rings, and Handkerchiefs by Professor Hoffman. This book was an excerpt from the larger book, Modern Magic, but still, at 122 pages, it contained a lot of magic. At one point, his parents hired a magic instructor, Bert Surveyus, to teach Charlie magic. 
He would go on to have many teachers and many mentors over the years. Charlie became adept at all of the magic in the Hoffman book and was soon fooling all the neighborhood kids. Indianapolis had a magic shop, Brumfield's Magic Shop and the Grand Hotel. Ray Muse worked there for a time and recalls selling Charlie his first copy of Erdnays, also known as the expert at the card table. This book was filled with gambling techniques with cards, as well as sleight-of-hand card magic. Much of the material seemed beyond the ability of the average magician. That is, until one young man mastered all of the techniques in the book, Dave Vernon, also known as Di Vernon, depending upon what part of the country you were from. He was perhaps the first to conquer the material in the book. Well, that is, except for the book's mysterious author, who obviously could do the material as well. Then next, we have a very young Charlie Miller, who also mastered the difficult sleight of hand from the book. This book would become the template for almost every magic book that followed for years. It has line-drawing illustrations and very descriptive text. No photographs, however. And think about this. There are magicians today that claim they can only learn magic via video or live instruction. And yet... And yet, here are two magicians that took this Erdnay's book with only line drawings and text, and, were, and they were able to conquer all of the techniques in the book. Pretty amazing. When he was 19, Charlie moved to El Paso, Texas. He lived there for two years before moving to Los Angeles. From his 20s and onwards, Charlie was a night owl. He loved to talk magic into the wee hours of the morning. And I found stories from Fred Browie, Ricky Jay, Michael Weber, Johnny Thompson, Jim Reiser, Bob White, Di Vernon, and many others who spent countless hours with Charlie discussing slights and magic. Ricky Jay relates a story that Charlie would sometimes mention a slight and ask, ask you to do it. And then he'd get up and he'd look at that slight from a different angle. A different vantage point and have you repeat it again and again and again. And Charlie would be having the time of his life and you'd go along with it until you just didn't want to do the trick anymore. But Ricky says, looking back, those were some of the most joyous moments of his life. In a similar vein, Di Vernon shares a story in his book, Di Vernon, A Magical Life, Volume 4, where he mentions that he was... Uh, that he personally had trouble making up his mind. He is always a mind in flux, is what he said. When it comes to routines, he often creates numerous methods because he can never settle upon one. And then, on a visit to Wichita, Kansas, he was with Charlie Miller, and he asked Charlie if he could help him decide which of five different methods was the best for a particular trick. Vernon did the routines five different ways, Charlie discarded one of them as no good and asked to see them again. Then he discarded a second. Three were left, and after some eight or nine, ten more times of showing them, Charlie chose another one to get rid of. Finally, Vernon was down to the last two, which he showed Charlie over and over and over. But Char Charlie could see no difference between the two. And Vernon insisted that there were definite differences. And then Charlie made an amazing statement. He asked Vernon, which of those is the most original to you? He went on, 
Choose the one that's the most original to you. This will grow and improve because it's your original thought. The other one won't develop since it's not an original thought to you. Vernon considered this brilliant thinking. Now, there's some conjecture as to whether or not Charlie Miller was a full-time entertainer. I heard an audio podcast from the Magic Newswire, Dodd Vickers' groundbreaking podcast, where he interviewed Johnny Thompson, Jim Reiser, and Bob White about Charlie Miller. They said that Charlie was trained as a, a watch repairman, I believe, and often that's how he made his money. And I don't discount that. However, if you look at the magic periodicals from the 1930s, 1940s, Charlie was daily doing magic. He was at, uh, at one point, he was at the Golden Gate International Exposition in San Francisco. He was considered the first trade show magician. He worked countless club dates and banquets, even working overseas. It's clear he was a full-time entertainer in his early days. He performed, by the way, as Charles Earl when he performed for Lehman, but always as Charlie Miller for magicians. The truth is this. The year was 1930 when he moved to Los Angeles, and that was the year he decided to become a professional magician. That career lasted until 1942 when Charlie was drafted into the military. But after only 10 months, Charlie was recruited to become part of the USO and remained with them until 1946. So again, still doing magic. He traveled all over the world performing with the USO. And after the war in 1946, Charlie returned to California and became a popular comedy magician as well as a society performer working for the rich and famous. Later in life, when he was in his 60s, he worked cruise ships. So unlike a lot of so-called famous magicians that we read about, Charlie was actually out there performing for real people. The comments about his performances were always the same. Quote, some of the most amazing and skillful magic that was ever presented. Unquote. As I look over magic literature to discover more on the life of Charlie Miller, I came across the book, The Magic of Fawcett Ross. I knew that Fawcett and Charlie were friends, so I thought, well, here would be a good source for information. In the beginning of the book, Fawcett relates how Charlie had come to see him perform, and Fawcett became a professional magician in the 30s as well. And I'm not sure he remained a professional magician his entire life, but that's beside the point. Anyway... Soon after seeing his show, Charlie and Fawcett began to correspond, which is another way of saying they exchanged letters back and forth. Now, today, people do email, and it's a pitiful version of letter writing. But back in the day, people would write lengthy letters, and, and they would keep these letters. They would be held on to. Emails are forgotten a minute after we read them. Anyway, they amassed a huge amount of correspondence. And what made their letters unique was that Charlie was always asking about this routine or that routine or about various slights and techniques. In other words, the letters were like late-night sessions, except they were written out by hand and exchanged through the mail. But one important thing was that now there was a permanent record of these conversations. And as it turned out, those hundreds and hundreds of letters were gathered together, sifted through, and became the essence of the book, the magic of Fawcett Ross. I think it's safe to say that every magician has mentors. 
whether they're official mentors or not. There are clearly people we learn from. In Charlie's case, he had many wonderful mentors, and one of them that he learned from was world-famous Max Molini. Charlie asked Max one time about the true secret of performing, and Molini's answer was interesting. He said, Charlie, it's in the eye. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, it means that if you wanted to make a particular move or do a particular slight that was less than invisible, you needed to catch a person's eye. In other words, you needed to have them look up at you. At that moment, you could execute your move. To Mulaney, it was all about misdirection. And if you think about his body of work, that really makes sense. Now, there's a story that Vernon tells of seeing Mulaney do his famous block of ice trick. Now, this is not what it was known as. This was the denouement of the trick. In the trick, there is a coin and a hat, and the magician would spin the coin, cover it with the hat, and you'd have to guess whether it was heads up or tails up. And the hat would be lifted to reveal the coin to show what it landed on. After having done this numerous times, the final time the hat was lifted, this time underneath, instead of the coin being there, it was a giant block of ice. And even if you'd seen it before, you couldn't detect where it was coming from, or frankly, when it would show up. So as Vernon related the story, one day he and Charlie Miller and another person were watching Malini, and they had decided that one of them was going to watch his left hand, and one of them was going to watch his right hand only, and the other would watch from another perspective, all in an effort to catch Malini and discover the secret to the block of ice trick. They didn't even know where the ice was being held before the trick, and sure enough, at the proper time, Malini lifted up the hat and... Underneath was the block of ice, and where did it come from? They were all fooled again. And Charlie just frankly asked Malini. And Malini's response was, Well, I'm not going to put it under there while you're looking. Again, that speaks to misdirection. To Malini, the secret was misdirection, because it all looks like magic. Otherwise, these tricks we do are merely puzzles. Charlie was certainly fond of sleight-of-hand magic, but that was not all. He seemed to be consumed by all forms of magic. One of the reasons I find Charlie so fascinating is that he was known to be as skillful with apparatus magic as he was with sleight-of-hand. And this is a drastic difference from most sleight-of-hand performers, as they often tend to look down upon apparatus magic, yet Charlie was a master of both. Now, I've mentioned Di Vernon several times, and I believe it was Fawcett Ross who introduced Vernon to Charlie, and I think there was an an initial reluctance because Charlie was younger. To put it into perspective, Vernon was born in 1894, Charlie was born in 1909, so there was a 15-year difference between them. But Charlie could do material from Erdnays, and for Vernon, that made you a rarity. In fact, Vernon would say of his friend Charlie Miller, quote, He was the finest exponent of pure sleight of hand I have ever seen in my life, Vernon takes credit, both good and bad, for getting Charlie interested in gamblers. And I sort of question this because Charlie had learned many gambling techniques from Erdnays, so he had a little bit of an education in technique, at least, um, which you would think would get you interested in that whole world. But regardless, it was Vernon who introduced Charlie to the real gamblers, the real underworld of card work. 
Vernon had to coach Charlie on how to behave around them. For example, he would tell him, never tell them that you're a magician or a technician or anything of the kind. Vernon made the suggestion that if these gamblers ever asked, Charlie should say something like, well, I'm a dice man, and leave it at that. Say nothing more, just you're a dice man. On one particular rather shady adventure, Charlie and Vernon were brought into a gambling den, the real deal, hardcore gamblers. Vernon went off and talked with a couple of the men while Charlie sat on his own in the corner, and according to... uh, the book, Die Vernon, A Magical Life, the gamblers turned to Charlie and asked, well, what is it you do? And Charlie, who was extremely wound up by that point, likely quite nervous, blurted out in the highest pitched voice, I am a dice man. It was obvious to all that he was not, and Vernon and Charlie were asked to leave. But that one line, I'm a dice man, became a running gag, inside joke between Vernon, Charlie, and Fawcett Ross for many years. In the 1940s, after Charlie had established himself as an excellent sleight-of-hand performer, he created a new act. It was a pantomime act, and really only for magicians. He would come out and apparently perform an entire manipulation act with cards, coins, billiard balls, and a vanishing birdcage, except he didn't have any of those props. He just pretended his way through it. And by all accounts, it was hysterically funny. Now, I'm sure if a layman were to watch that, they would just sit there and scratch their heads, but this is one of those inside baseball sort of things that is hilarious to magicians. There was something else that Charlie established himself as, and that was the guest who wouldn't leave. In the January 1967 issue of The Linking Ring, Francis Marshall tells a story of Charlie staying over their Chicago home, uh, which this happened 25 years earlier. Charlie was going to stay for a couple of days and ended up staying for an entire year. Later, the mattress that he slept on was moved from the attic guest room in the Marshall's home to the upstairs factory room at Magic Inc. in Chicago. This room became known as the Charlie Miller Suite. And it wasn't until 1967 that Francis decided to replace the mattress. Uh, More magicians than Charlie had slept over there over the years, but Charlie just had the honor of staying there the longest. And on one occasion, when Francis was changing the sheets on the bed, she saw that the bed springs were poking through the mattress. For how long these poor magicians were sleeping on metal springs was anyone's guess, but that signified that it was time for the mattress to go and bring in a new one. Now, Charlie did not bestow this honor of staying long periods with just Jay and Francis Marshall. At one time, he flew from Los Angeles to visit magician Bill Dodson and his wife in Louisville. Charlie was set to stay for two days and stayed for four weeks. I believe Charlie did the same thing with Jim Reiser in Detroit and later in Dallas. And I know he stayed with Johnny and Pam Thompson for a very long time. And I would not be surprised if others had the honor of having Charlie Miller as their house guest for long periods of time as well. By the way, the four-week period that Charlie stayed with Bill Dodson, he was secretly working on making stull watches with Bob Stull. 
I must admit to being surprised to find Charlie Miller on the cover of only one Magic magazine during his entire lifetime, and that was Genie Magazine, November 1964. This would mark the start of his magazine within a magazine, in other words, the column called Magicana, which ran from November 1964 until 1988. For 23 years, Charlie Miller and his co-author, William Reed Woodfield, contributed the most amazing magic and stories to that magazine. Now, Richard Kaufman has since put out all of the Magicana columns in book form. And I don't have that book yet, but looking through the old magazines, I'm stunned at some of the incredible magic. There's, some, there's a wonderful card sword routine, which has a brilliant ending that is both dramatic, yet it, it uh, doesn't have that uh, situation where the cards are all over the floor. It's genius in its construction. Uh, there's the Charlie Miller Miser's Dream, but included with the Charlie Miller's Miser's Dream is the Million Dollar Miser's Dream move, which, if you're not familiar with it, is an amazing sequence with a Miser's Dream and coins. Charlie does appear elsewhere in print. I'm told he has a number of contributions in Bobo's Coin Magic book. There's also quite a lot of Charlie Miller material in the book Expert Card Technique by Hugerden Browley. In fact, Charlie also apparently contributed the Divernon material, which was against Vernon's wishes, which led to a small but not long-lasting dispute between the two men. There's also a book uh, or a spiral-bound booklet called An Evening with Charlie Miller, which is long out of print, but it has a lot of Charlie's Routines in it. By the way, you can still get that book if you go to library.com. Now, that's spelled L-Y-B-R-A-R-Y.com, library.com, and they have that book available in PDF form. In the 1960s, Charlie was a regular at the Magic Castle, and I believe it was here that he developed this interesting phrase when witnessing some less-than-stellar magic. The quote is, well, magic takes another dive into oblivion. Now, I'd like to take a few minutes and talk about the um, videos that are available on Charlie Miller. There are videos online. There are videos for sale. I first saw Charlie Miller by watching the Greater Magic Video Libraries that were recorded in 1984, which had three DVDs featuring Charlie. I was a bit shocked because the man I saw did not really impress me very much. Some of the material I actually thought was rather weak, but putting it into perspective, Charlie was long past his prime when these videos were done. His better days were behind him. And yet, despite that, there were things he did that were very impressive. Let me point out his miser's dream. Now, this was something he made a name for himself with, and in the Greater Magic video DVD, he does the trick with a plastic bucket and coins. And I think it was the cheap plastic bucket that caused me to dismiss his performance at first. Because later, I saw Levent on Levent's wonderful three DVD, uh, three DVD set on The Miser's Dream. He demonstrated Charlie, Charlie Miller's routine. And I was stunned at how amazing it was and, frankly, how difficult it was to do. And I went back and I watched Charlie do his routine again. And this time, even though he had that crappy bucket, the rest of the routine was flawless. And, yes, quite difficult in execution, yet he pulled it off brilliantly. 
And there are other things on the video, some good, some not. Uh, a lot of folks bring up his presentation of the rice bowls, and Charlie was inspired to do the rice bowls after seeing Roy Benson's performance. And he didn't want to copy Roy, so he came up with his own presentation, and uh, I like it, and I don't like it at the same time. And the reason I don't like it, it's because he whistles the entire time, and for some reason, I personally find that annoying. But the routine is flawless, and it's also different because the version of the rice bowls he's using, the Al Baker bowls, is almost never seen today. Although, come to think of it, are there any versions of the rice bowls that are seen today? I, I don't know. And Charlie uh, doesn't use rice, and I'm not exactly sure what he's using. It's almost like he has some sort of confetti or plastic confetti or something. But at any rate, it's a solid performance minus the whistling. One of the videos has him doing the Chinese sticks, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think the presentation is dreadful. Now, this is on the Greater Magic Video Library video. However, if you watch Charlie Miller do the Chinese sticks on the Magic Palace, oh my God, what a killer routine. He has a move in there I've never seen anyone do in a performance. I remember my buddy Denny Haney showing me the move, uh, but it was like you're showing, you know, casually showing it to me, but I'd never seen it in a routine, and it's a brilliant move. And you can see Charlie Miller do the... Um, the Chinese sticks on the Magic Palace on YouTube. So I encourage you to check that out. And there's also a, another gem on the Greater Magic Video Libraries, uh, and I don't recall if it's taught. It's demonstrated, but I don't remember if it's taught. And it's a card trick that the premise is Charlie can never get it right. And he goes on to perform it and emphasizes throughout that he never gets it right. And there's a move there that's a really obvious move. And the audience is all, you know, they catch, you know, they, they're aware of, uh, of the move. And this is done on purpose. And so it makes the ending that much funnier. I, I really like that routine a lot. I think, if I'm not mistaken... I think that routine is included in the Johnny Thompson uh, books that uh, came out just before Johnny passed away. So it might be in there. I believe he, um, Charlie also does a torn and restored tissue or torn and restored napkin as well. And if memory serves, it's almost identical uh, an almost identical handling to that of Bob White. Bob teaches a torn and restored napkin on a DVD that he put out, and I'm not sure he may have even said on the DVD that he learned it from Charlie Miller. I don't remember. I don't have it handy. But I do know they were friends, and they spent a lot of time sharing and talking magic, so it's very likely that uh, there were hints of Charlie Miller in the routine. It's a great piece. And if you want to go and check out Charlie Miller in his prime, you need to look for the old grainy videos that are likely from the 40s and 50s. They show Charlie doing some out-of-this-world, flawless sleight of hand. Uh, there's a clip of Charlie on the Ricky J documentary called Deceptive Practices. And also, if you go to YouTube and you type in Charlie Miller under the search bar, You'll get both the Magic Palace videos that I mentioned and also some of the old grainy videos. Charles Earl Miller passed away August 13th, 1989. 
He'd been recovering from abdominal surgery when he passed. He was 80 years old. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. If so, please like the podcast in whatever way your provider will allow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, consider giving me a five-star review. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Thank you for listening. Please be well and stay safe.